32 Counties. 32 Questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Huh. <laughs> kind of. We usually take a county and we dive right into that issue uh, relevant to that county and then we see where in the world it brings us. And yes, we will return to our outstanding counties. So if you are awaiting one of those counties, uh, don't worry, you are not forgotten. This blasted pandemic, however, has changed our approach slightly um, as we deal with the fallout from the virus. And we're doing our coverage a little differently, looking at the impact of the pandemic across Ireland and the world in, um, I think, a little bit of a side angle, getting under the hood of things that maybe others aren't so much. This week, with Bewley's on Grafton Street shutting and people shocked by the 1.5 million euro rent they were paying, along with Johnny Ronan weekend at Burnieing, an effigy of the Celtic Tiger everywhere he goes, how are independent retail and commercial businesses dealing with landlords and rent right now? So this week, we're talking about the Bewley's effect on independent business rent stress. Bam. But before we do all that, we have got some Patreon pitching to do to you. I'm not going to go on about it too much today. If you're digging this shit, do support us from as little as $3. Um, And if you want to upgrade to $5, then you get some sweet ass rewards. So I would suggest going to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. And as well as these joyous episodes, um, you will also get our new weekly series of the Sunday Soothe, which I have to say I am really enjoying doing. So selfishly, I'm delighted with the Sunday Soothe because it makes my Sundays, well, our Saturdays when we record it, but they're very soothing to record. So hopefully they're soothing to listen to, full of positivity and uh us going a little bit deep on Pinterest quotes and they're just, I just think it's lovely. Um, also lovely, Una this week did a cute, cute it's not that cute, uh, a bonus episode um, about Sweden and their outlier approach to um, managing the pandemic and she spoke to Philip O'Connor. That is a bonus episode that is available on Patreon but also wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then finally, it's upon us. There was a there was a f- fake scare that it had already happened and we didn't know about it. Um, as somebody was like, "Can you tell us what the answer to this qu- this uh, clue is on your treasure hunt?" I was like, "I know we're slow at things, but like, did we just imagine something and it happened? What a joy!" But I no, love the rival treasure hunt, and I love our our listeners' enthusiasm for us getting shit done before we we do. So I'm really, I think it shows that people are excited about the United Ireland treasure hunt. Yeah, I'm sweating first, so watch out later in the week for that. It is coming your way. So for all that, like what a package you're getting! Bash over there, bash over. Wow, interesting words today. Bop over to uh, Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and sign up. So the other thing as well is uh, more patrons are coming on board. Welcome to all of our new patrons. If this is your first paid podcast, hello and thank you. Does it feel different? Does it feel different? Does it feel different? (laughs) um, uh, Do you feel like you have to listen to it all the way through now because you've paid for it? Um, But a quick word about our 
upcoming epic United Ireland treasure hunt IRL. Um, it's not just a fun vibe to get out into the world and, you know, hunt for these little things we're going to be laying out for you. There are going to be amazing weekly prizes um, for people who complete the treasure hunt. And I don't mean like bullshit prizes that people say are amazing. Like I mean, genuinely good prizes that you actually want to win. And so whether you want to or not, you're going to have to end up putting the effort in for the treasure hunt because the prizes are so good. So uh, keep an eye on that. We're going to be launching that by the end of the week. But before that, Andrea, how are you feeling? I am feeling, how am I feeling? Today I'm feeling quite buoyant um, because I had a socially distanced coffee date and I just, it really imparts how important seeing people in real life is and the human connection and not to go deep, but it just really brings me to the meaning of life. And you didn't expect this meaning of life question to come into that. You were like, yeah, I feel good. Maybe a little bit stressed. Uh, but then <laughs> I had, I've, I've been kind of having like twos and throws with my landlord and I got an email on Tuesday and it just brought the weight of the world onto my shoulders, but not just like the day-to-day um, issues of life, but I just was like, overcome with stress of how unfair and unjust the world can be and I just went into this really like oh how are we ever meant to change this it's too big it's too much to change why is like it unfair why do we have things that favor the rich and how jump on each other's heads to get rich if you can only seem to achieve things when you're rich and then I plummeted into a hole and I had to go in and watch uplifting documentaries for the day and I didn't revert to Made in Manhattan for once in that situation. Wow. I know it's a big day um, but then I came out of it and now I'm now I feel good. <laughs> How do you and feel? All, all the better that we're doing a podcast on rent and on small businesses and all that kind of stuff today that is going to be very interesting. Um we are oh, coming up in the podcast. We are going to be talking to top business journal who's going to give us the um, context on what's going on in Ireland with regards to commercial rents and also a small business owner themselves. Um, and Andre as well, obviously, you know, that's your entire livelihood. <laughs> um, I'm feeling good this week. Um, I'm having really weird, like tiredness crashes. I think it's probably because I'm getting up really early. Uh, and then, you know, by 10 o'clock, I'm like, you know, hitting a wall. Uh, so I had to go for a little lie down before we recorded today. And I'm now drinking Red Bull. Andrea once told, <laughs> accused me of being a murderer, direct quote, for drinking Red Bull in the middle of the day. I am a daytime Red Bull drinker, which um, is so psychopathic, according to Andrea. But how am I feeling? I'm feeling good. I had an absolutely magic day on Saturday. Um which was a really warm day in, in a lot of parts of the country. Certainly in, in in Dublin, it was like 18 degrees, was really sunny. So because the 5K exercise thing, um, obviously the 2K went to 5K last week. So I took a cycle uh, into the south side of the city centre, which is the first time in ages that I did that. Um, and uh, just cycled around basically for the evening and then cycled back to Stony Batter at night. And I was like, had my speaker in my backpack and I was blaring Miles Davis cycling down the empty keys. 
uh, got stopped by a guard, obviously. <laughs> um, but it was so, I've never had a day like it. And I kind of just kept me feeling that like, it's so desolate and weird in, in town at the moment, but it's also kind of magical. And all these things that people are doing, hanging outside their gaffs with their, you know, physically distanced with their neighbours and people not working so much. And obviously, you know, the financial pressure that instigates is massive, but um, I don't want to go back in so many ways. I feel like we're kind of living in that atmosphere of what you imagine, you know, countrywide blackouts to be where everybody just has to like hang around and there's nowhere to go. So you have to mine different aspects of your life in order to maintain. So yeah, I had a magic weekend and I'm feeling red bully today. And well, so also, now that, go on. Thing that I was yeah. just overwhelmed with as well is like I was in quite the position of privilege um, before the pandemic and everything was going toasty and good. And it just showed how fast you can fall from grace and security, essentially. And that yeah. it, like it just me, everything means nothing. And I'll leave it on that. <laughs> cool. Well, on that um, Beckettian uh, note, let's go to the state of the nation. What's the state of the nation this week, Andrea? This week, um, it's something that I thought was really sad and really awful. Um, and was that a rail worker in the UK died after being spat at. Um, they died of coronavirus. And I know a while ago we were talking about spit hoods and how terrifying they were, but how much more terrifying to be providing a service for the public and to then die because someone spat at you. It just, I think, is so awful. And I just, Horrific. Anyway, awful. Um what I didn't think, what I thought was very interesting was after Boris did his very vague um, address to the nation, which left thousands of memes b- being created, which meant everyone hadn't a clue what was going on. It's like, do we go to work? Do we not go to work? Um, what are you saying, Boris? And obviously, well, not obviously, my take on it is that it's um a uh, way to offload responsibility from the Tories and to put it on the public. And no more um, was that uh, clearer when coverage on Sky News today was of people using public transport to get to work, which is bananas. But, and they were sneering at it going, "How? Do, why are they doing this? Um, but as a then the North, when Arlene Foster was asked, will they be uh, staying alert and sticking to that message? She veered away from Boris um, and said that, no, they will be sticking with stay home. So maybe this is the first crack of the North taking their own lead away from the UK, which would be absolutely stunning. So mm. that's, that's interesting. Um, another thing that I this is so brilliant. Uh, there's a new uh, project called mask.ie um, and it's not mask for mask for the gay men out there listening. It is M-E-A-S-C dot I-E, and it is a new um, project from an entrepreneur who is 
manufacturing uh, masks in Ireland. And because they're being manufactured in Ireland, he's got a machine arriving this week and then they'll be in production within two weeks. Um, Because they'll be manufactured here, they will be costing very close to cost price. So it'll be in the cents rather than the euros. Um, And I just thought after speaking about uh, manufacturing plants, and their eradication to see the benefits of domestic manufacturing being highlighted with this project um, really hopefully will spur um, some more projects and some more um, factories and some more making and doing of uh, manufacturing in Ireland. Um, another thing was Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael apparently have planned a new Airbnb lockdown, according to a story in the Sunday Business Post at the weekend. You can only live in hope that this is something that will be uh, followed through with and not just spin, because as we have seen, we always had part of the solution towards uh, our homelessness crisis. And with the eradication of Airbnb tourism, there was actually enough houses for people to live in um, rather than landlords having maybe numerous venues that they were renting out on a temporary basis rather than people uh, calling them home. Something a little bit more depressing, Martini. Uh, Today, the head of Dublin City Council said that he is still hopeful that whitewater rafting can still go ahead. Oh. Paddle Bam. your own canoe, Owen Keegan. <laughs> the thing that was like one did, of the don't council are do council are doing amazing stuff with regards to cycling lanes and the plans for pedestrianisation and all that kind of stuff. But then there's this nonsense. Um, <laughs> I feel like and, uh, it's and also building their depot out in Ballymun for like twenty million more than it was going to be like a couple of years ago or something. Anyway, go on. I feel like. The coronavirus is losing a lot of bullies. Bullies is the wrong word, but I maybe maybe it's not the wrong word. But there is um, def. It feels like the opposition um, to people with private interests is being eradicated, where the greater good for the people who live in the city can finally get across the line because there is yeah less people campaigning for their personal goods, like um, car parks, for example. Um, another story, this came from the New York Times, um, where Elizabeth Patton, uh, who is a fashion investigative journalist with the New York Times, she did a story on hundreds of garment workers um, in Asia are saying that their bosses are using the pandemic as an excuse to break down unionization. So where um, people have been let go, the like 90 or 95% of them are the ones that are in unions and the majority who are left are not. So they're, they're using the pandemic to uh, restructure. And we've seen started to see some of that happening in Ireland as well with a few um, places. Um, so I think it's worth definitely watching um, as people start to use Corona as an excuse um, where it maybe should not be. Something else, this is breaking news, stand by. The normal people fandom is reaching across the world. Courtney Kardashian put it on her Instagram stories with uh, a screen grab of the show and just said, this show, love heart. So the popularity of this show is off the charts right now. It's just unbelievable. 
I actually have another piece about normal people coming in the time soon. Um, Just FYI. Uh, I did that big piece before it came out and now I'm doing another piece. I've finished it. I I guess it's being published this week on really, really interesting conversation with the location manager. Uh, Loads of people have been talking about different aspects of, obviously there's the issue filming in Trinity and how they manage that, but also the houses, the weird Shane Ross connection and um, various different aspects of how, you know, the different kind of colour palettes and brutalist buildings and all that kind of stuff. I think people will enjoy it because it's very nerdy and detailed, which are obviously my favourite things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I still haven't watched an episode yet. I'm going to save it for the weekend and do a little binge. Um, But I've been told you can't watch more than two episodes because it's too emotionally draining. So maybe I won't binge. Uh, Another some uh, good news is a film studio has... uh, called Grange Castle Media Park has pretty has got the plan going ahead they just have to get planning permission um, but they're going to build 12 sound stages 100,000 square foot of workshop space um, and also 100,000 square foot of offices um, but that would be I think really good for us to have a bigger creative force uh, and space in Ireland yeah the more studios the better and Irish film and TV crews are amazing like internationally renowned so we should be making more stuff here yeah, uh, yeah. festival trauma continues uh, electric picnic is cancelled even though we officially. knew it already it still hurts and to see it officially get the cancellation it's just so sad it's just festivals you really I saw someone when uh, talking about restaurants going out onto the paths they're like could we put clubs out onto the streets I was like I think that's called a festival and I just want a <laughs> festival uh, but three more very serious things did you notice he wrote the state of the nation this week <laughs> I'm into it I'm into it Andrea keep going Matt Damon did his inter- first interview since being in Dalkey on spin this morning it's gone up on every you'll google it and you'll find it he is just lovely and it's like talking about the new york times uh journalist who was trying to track him down and how the dorky residents were like leave him alone um and he was talking to a nurse thanking her for his service it's a really nice uh, kind of piece of coverage um and it's on spin also i love that spin got the scoop because every single journalist in ireland has been after an interview with matt damon and they're just like bam Apparently, so I'm into that. Been, well done, Spin. Yeah, they've been on a mission, and it was Bono who sorted it out in the end. <laughs> there you go. Happy birthday, Bono. Uh, in really serious bad news, JLo's wedding has been postponed. I just can't believe this. I just can't it's believe sad. it. It's a very after sad all day. of our support <laughs> and our anticipation for the wedding. Also, her day will come. And in great news to finish off the State of the Nation. Hang on a sec. Her day with Chucky Arlo. Hey. <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> Chucky Arlo. Amazing. Um, actually, can I just oh, I'll put that in later? Uh, and finally, the best news that we've been waiting for since, well, maybe not everyone has been waiting for it, but I have. McDonald's is due to reopen six drive-to uh, venues next week and I cannot wait. And I, like, it really pains me because obviously there's a lot of corporate 
bullshit and, you know, how they treat their staff and all that stuff. But I just love McDonald's. And that's it. That's the state of the nation. Now, Una, that's give the us the corona correction. Now it is time for the corona correction. Okay, so this week's Corona Correction kindly, kind of plays into um, what our topic this week. It's about working from home and uh, the end and disintegration of all of these office buildings and spaces that have been built, you know, for the last hundred years. Twitter has said to their employees that they can work from home permanently if they choose to do so. Kind of calls into question what all of these kind of tech companies in particular are doing in buildings all around cities, driving up the rent surrounding those buildings and generally making corporate gentrification shit show that everyone hates. Um, Maybe now we will stop filling our cities with gross glass and steel offices or maybe not. Um, There is a piece in the New York Times this week, uh, Manhattan faces a reckoning if working from home becomes the norm. And they're talking about... um, Three of uh, New York's largest commercial tenants, Barclays, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Morgan Stanley, and they would have had like tens of thousands of workers and you know big office towers across Manhattan. And uh, basically, they're kind of saying that you know, you know, are these workers ever going to come back? Um, and they think now that it's highly unlikely that they'll ever return to those buildings. Um, Nielsen, the research firm has decided, yeah, even after um, lockdown, 3,000 workers that they have in the city uh, will no longer need to be in the office full time. Um, Same with, uh, you know, all these kind of big kind of corporate office blocks and people going, is it really necessary to go into this building and the amount of money it actually costs companies who are going to be on the back foot because of the global economic collapse uh, in terms of rent also calls into question uh, some of the, you know, bigger kind of car crash companies that we've seen recently. Hello, WeWork, uh, what's going to happen to the Central Plaza on Dame Street in Dublin? Um, and obviously WeWork were already pulling out of leases. So this kind of thing around offices, you know, as a thing, uh, could be uh, coming to an end. We are now joined by Rosie, um, who is from Hence Teeth Studio, Gallery and Cafe. Uh, they recently moved their in real life location from Fade Street to Black Pits, uh, just off Cambrasa Street, uh, just before Corona hit us. They, Hens Teeth are known for being pioneers in music, culture, art in Dublin and further afield. And just before uh, Corona hit, their last collaborative exhibition opened uh, in Dover Street Market in London uh, before returning. And that was a collaboration with Honey Dijon, the DJ, um, and some fab uh, neon lights, which was unreal. Um, Thanks for joining us, Rosie. Thanks so much for having me and for that lovely introduction. <laughs> um, we are talking about, I suppose, how small businesses are coping in Corona and what that has meant from a rental perspective. And maybe you could just tell us when Corona first hit, what, how did that affect you and how did you move your business? And was there any worries about how you were going to afford to keep moving um, when we didn't know how long this was going to go on for yeah, so I mean, as as you said in your introduction, like we only opened this new space in in November last year, 
And when just before Corona hit, we we were kind of on a bit of a high where we felt like we'd really kind of figured out how this new premises was going to work for us. Um, we'd kind of programmed in lots and lots of events uh, that were going to run across the year from like workshops and exhibitions and uh, product launches. And we really felt like we'd, we'd kind of cracked it and how it would work. And we, we had been to London. We'd spent 10 days in London uh, at the launching this this show in Dover Street and we came back uh, with a plan to, to launch it in our own space on Thursday the 12th of March which obviously was uh, was not going to happen and um, you know we realized realized really on on the Wednesday before that so it was a very strange time for us where we were on this this high and feeling really positive about about the future of of what we were what we were trying to do uh, and obviously then the kind of rug was pulled pulled from under us you know alongside you know most other small business owners so our immediate thing was just how are we going to survive i mean we'd funded our move into this building and a colossal renovation um, through a Kickstarter campaign and then through our, our own finances. So we didn't really have this this big kind of pot of cash that we could turn to to, to um, try and sustain us over, over this time. And so, you know, unfortunately, we had to temporarily let go our staff. We had, you know, there's a team of 15 across the diner gallery and our, our studio. Um, and I suppose our kind of initial instincts were that we just had to batten down the hatches and, and not be racking up lots more, lots of debt that we, that we would never really be able to, to pay back. So that went from, you know, kind of cancelling direct debits for various online softwares to then having a conversation with our landlord um which as a very very new tenant we didn't have a a long-term relationship that we'd built up so we really didn't know what to expect when we were having that that initial phone call and um thankfully they were very very understanding of our situation and i think you know they their initial reaction was like, listen, it's not in our long-term interests to to get a short-term win with charging you rent over the next three months. Uh, so they've given us a rent holiday, I guess, uh, that we'll review again at the end of June, which for us just meant that we could effectively put the business into hibernation without this kind of added stress of building up debt that we'd never be able to come back from. Um, and yeah, no, give you know, give us a little bit of hope that whatever happens in the future, we we will be able to kind of um, adapt and you know and come back. Uh, you've been really lucky in the fact that you have been given a break, and a, a lot of commercial businesses, especially small businesses, are really struggling to kind of get buy-in from landlords to get that break. If that you hadn't have gotten that break, what would that have meant for you as a small business? It just would have been this colossal added stress and pressure at a time when everybody is under so many different stresses from like even leaving your house to, to, you know, then trying to, trying to envisage how your business will, will evolve over, you know, the month, next six months, next year. So to not have that just, it just allowed us that breathing room um, and, and actually is, just kind of given us an extra, an extra bit of hope that you know when we when we are able to like properly reopen again, we're kind of doing it from almost a clean slate, um, which which I think which I hope will just give us give us a yeah give us an opportunity 
to survive this. Rosie, is this um, like what is your experience? Do you think that's fairly common from talking to, you know, pals or peers around Dublin or Cork or Galway, other Irish cities um, about what people are experiencing? Yeah, from speaking to yeah other people that I know that own small businesses, it seems to be, I mean, this is only anecdotally, but it seems to be that by and large, their landlords have have taken a similar a similar approach. Um, that's you know that's probably you know four or five examples. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of people who aren't experiencing the same you know kind of kindness um, that that we have and other people have. But I think you know I think if if anybody has just arrived, this you know it's when you know I think it's so crucial that people do show that kindness because you know for landlords it's like well if they're not going to have a tenant there in three months time you know and all those people aren't going to have their jobs like what is the long-term vision like who knows what's going to happen with the commercial property market over over the foreseeable future but you know I just feel like it's you know it's pretty crucial that that landlords do show that that kindness right now. Was definitely a positive vibe Andrea go on. Like, I suppose I'm from conversations I've had, I've found the complete opposite. And I wonder, is there anything that there's in common with the, with the landlords who are being kind versus the landlords who aren't playing ball and are like, you, you need to give us the, this money or else, I suppose, and not really caring if there's going to be an effect on the business or not. Have you, like, is there any, like, I suppose the, like, like a common denominator common in the denominator yeah. like the bigger landlords don't care. And I, am I, try, I don't know if I'm trying to project on this or is it that a case where it's not um, business landlords, it's, it's people landlords. Is that yeah. business jargon? I mean, speaking from our own experience, like our landlord is, it's a big commercial uh, property company based in the UK. So, you know, it's, I assume that for them, they're looking at countless properties across Ireland and the UK, and it they're able to see a much longer, a longer term plan for this, um, and it makes more sense for them to have a tenant in a year's time than to not have a tenant. Um, but I don't know if it is a, on a kind of a one-to-one basis where you're just dealing with a, a private commercial landlord. Is that? I mean, it, I basically, I guess it's just the look of the draw. I'm not sure what, if there's a common denominator um, or wh- where we got our good fortune, where our good fortune came from. But we're, you know, we're extremely grateful for it. Looking beyond this, Rosie, um, obviously retail and uh, different kinds of retail, there's been like, you know, this kind of cycle of stories for a good few years now about um, the very uh, happily uh, phrased retail apocalypse. Um, and then obviously all these, you know, endless uh, commentary about uh, spaces that are more experiential, that are more multi-purpose, that don't necessarily fit into straight up, um, you know, I'm a shop or I'm a cafe. And hence teeth really encap- encapsulates that, right? Because you're, you know, you kind of have this creative agency, like branding agency type thing, workspace, the diner, uh, you know, the store, gallery space, hangout space, like all of those different bits and bobs. On one hand, do you think that there, because um, spaces that are more, uh, or venues that are more, um, you know, culturally, creatively inclined, uh, tend not to be like massive profit-making vehicles, that that would make you guys 
financially and commercially vulnerable in the future? Or is it more like small indies that develop community around them as opposed to like a glass box that sells loads of shit from Zara or whatever are more capable of surviving and what's coming down the line? Like, how do you how do you see what is going to, you know, keep going, keep paddling away and what's going to maybe crash and burn in the next like six, nine months? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you described, we do a lot of things. So never have we been more kind of grateful that we have a sort of a very nimble business model uh, that we've never kind of pinned our colors to one mast. So, you know, when we were opening this new space, you know, we kind of kept saying like, yeah, we want to build like a recession proof business. Now at the time we thought that that was because we were adding a cafe and we're like, people will always buy coffees and we'll, you know, no matter what happens, we'll keep going. Little did we know that a few months later we'd have to shut the cafe down, but uh, what we have seen now is we're, um, there's been an upsurge in our fine art printing. We're working on this huge charity campaign at the moment called Creatives Against COVID, where we're doing all the printing and fulfilling. Um, and it's this is all in aid of Women's Aid and the ISPCC. But off the back of that, we've been getting more um, private printing jobs. So that's a kind of a wing of our business that we hadn't really pictured kind of flourishing right now, but it has. Um, and that's, you know, I guess that's because we have the gallery and we were able to kind of, for want of a better word, pivot into that, into that. Don't say pivot. Don't do it. <laughs> pivot is banned from this podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm banning myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and even when we were, when we were planning this space, we kept using words like um, modular and adaptable and the space is, 2,800 square foot. It's completely open plan. So we, you know, at the time we thought that was, you know, that was great because we'd be able to do some big, weird installation or we would be able to have a huge event with a couple of hundred people. Uh, Now, you know, I think that makes us hopeful that, you know, whatever the new government guidelines are going to be, uh, that we'll be able to kind of expand the diner and and operate kind of social social distancing as best possible. so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that totally answers your question. I mean, the evolution of, of retail for us, that had that had changed dramatically anyway when we moved from Fade Street um, because we weren't on a kind of a busy city centre thoroughfare anymore where the, the store was really consistent. Uh, moving out of the city had kind of changed that and had made us realise that we needed to become much more creative in how we were getting people down into the space, whether that was operating markets on the weekends or or hosting different different events or launches. Um, and, you know, we don't know how, how that's going to change over the next few months, but, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But what we have seen um, is just a huge upsurge in our digital sales. And that's kind of to a, a global market, which which kind of I suppose again gives us hope about the the, the future of our, our kind of retail side of our business, um, and that's something that we will just kind of try to adapt more into. And you know, we're going to have to become more creative when it comes to to how we launch new collections um, and exhibitions. That we have, you know, a couple of shows that we had lined up for for towards the end of the year that obviously artists have put a a huge amount of work into we're not going to be able to hold an exhibition so we have to to think about how we get these things up online now and become more more creative in in how we launch things digitally rather than having like an actual physical physical launch in our space 
Mm. I'm so fascinated to see how art and exhibitions and gallery space adapts to this and kind of, I suppose, how it pioneers the future of interacting with art. But uh, I am very glad that your landlord was sound and allows you to keep going and doing the great work you're doing. And we wish you all the best for the future. And thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. I look forward to having you both down when we're able to reopen, whatever that might be. So last week, the closure of Bewley's brought the difficulties businesses are facing in Ireland with regards to paying rent and their relationships with their landlords while they're not operating uh, into focus. Kieran Hancock is the business editor of the Irish Times. He's been writing a lot about this recently and, of course, over the years. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit about what's going on, uh, particularly in Irish cities Kieran, first of all, um, could I ask you for some context on how the landscape of retail renting and commercial renting has changed in Ireland since the crash? There is a perception that there was kind of a move from private individual landlords with names to funds or much bigger uh, entities. How does that plan out in practical terms if that is indeed the case? Yeah, there are some very big institutional landlords uh, involved in the Irish retail sector at the minute. That's been, I suppose, it's been the case for uh, for some time, really. Um, and what you've seen, Irish Life uh, investment managers would be one of the one of the big ones that uh, people would know, and, and a lot of our pension funds are invested through them. Um, but there, a lot of foreign money has come into the market uh, post the two thousand and eight crash. If you go back to two thousand and eleven, when Fine Gael and Labour came into government, they introduced a, a series of incentives to try foreign investors to invest in Irish property because Irish property obviously had fallen off a cliff after the, the banking crash um, and nobody was prepared to uh, lend us money. That was quite successful. A lot of people came in and bought up a lot of land. Uh, we've seen a lot of office, offices obviously go up around Dublin City and elsewhere um, and some money was put into retail as well. Uh, if you take, for example, uh, Dundrum Shopping Centre, which is you know the biggest retail um, centre in the country, essentially, um, and that's now owned by Hammerson, which is a UK uh, public company, and by Allianz, which is a, a German uh, investor. A lot of people would probably have their motor insurance with with Allianz, um, and they took that over from uh, you know Joe O'Reilly's chartered land developed that development. Uh, pre the crash going back probably about 15 years now at this stage um, the loans anyway uh, eventually ended up or some of the loans at least ended up in NAMA um, and it ended up being sold to Hammerson and Allianz so we've seen that kind of trend happen uh, over the last kind of eight or nine years um, and as a result of that uh, you have situations where some some retailers are saying that really, you know, the rents, particularly in places like Grafton Street, are just completely unaffordable. And we had a situation recently where Echo Shoes um, left Grafton Street. I think they were paying 210000 a year in the rent. They'd signed a, a rental agreement. Uh, it was due for renewal after five years. And Irish Life, in that case, was the landlord. And according to Echo Shoes, um, they were looking for a 70% increase, which they said was completely unaffordable for them. So there's this kind of perception that, you know, if you're dealing with some kind of faceless fund or whatever, that you're not going to get as fair a shot if you as if you were dealing with an old fashioned private landlord. Yet what we saw with Bewley's, um, you know, which kind of brought this topic to the, you know, for the public discourse, 
a lot of people I think it's fair to say were very shocked by their rent one and a half million a year um, but there's also been issues in the in the courts uh, with Bewley's uh, over the years and their landlord who's basically Johnny Ronan or one of his companies so that kind of is counter to this narrative of some I don't know Chicago teachers pension fund uh, owning a owning a place um, what was the situation there? Well, uh, actually, Johnny Ronan obviously is a, an Irish property developer, a very set, successful in the Celtic Tiger era. era. He was part of um, Treasury Holdings with Richard Barrett. Um, they developed uh, an awful lot of real estate uh, around Dublin. The Treasury building on Grand Canal Street would be one example of that. They were also involved in helping to develop the uh, National Conference Centre as an example. Spencer Dock, they were invo- heavily involved there in the Docklands uh, and so forth. Now, separate to that, Johnny Ronan also had some uh, interests of his own. He had property uh, um, investments of his own. And the crash came and inevitably uh, his investments, his personal ones, which included Bewley's, ended up uh, again in NAMA. And as a result of that, um, the uh, he had to find a way out of NAMA and his way out of NAMA was to get support from a couple of international funds. One of them called M&G and the other called Colony Capital. Um, so Johnny Rowland's argument in all of this is that, well, you know, he bought the building, I think it was 20 years ago or something, something like that. Um, the lease provisions uh, were there. Bewley's used to own the building, um, Fido Fido, like about 30 years ago when the Campbell uh, family bailed out Bewley's back then. Um, they did a sale and lease, the Campbell's did a sale and lease back to another owner, I think it was Royal Iver, and Johnny Rowling's group ended up uh, as the owner of that. And they say, look, the lease provisions are the lease provisions. Nobody put a gun to their head, to Bewley's head, to uh, sign up to them. They had upward only rent reviews. That was challenged. Um, by Bewley's and went all the way to the Supreme Court and eventually the Supreme Court uh, found in favour of Johnny Ronan. So yes, Johnny Ronan is a local investor, but the only way out of NAMA um, for him at the time was to bring international funds on board to help him uh, repay those loans to NAMA and to to exit. Um, So there are international funds essentially involved in in that Bewley's cafe on on Grafton Street. They have an interest. Johnny Ronan has said that he has two mortgages essentially on that building, you know, and he has bills to pay as well. So he can't afford to give a break um, to the Campbells on, on the Bewley's rent. So when you hear all this discourse on social media, obviously there was the, it didn't help that the day this news broke there was an old video of him, well, no, a video back from February going viral. So it kind of, I think it, it, uh, for want of a better word, triggered a lot of people's uh, Celtic Tiger PTSD around these these two issues. But when you hear about this, um, the very, very negative uh, commentary directed at Johnny Ronan, is that fair if there are multiple um, players involved here? Well, Bewley's is one of those uh, retailers that kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit for Dubliners or people who've lived in Dublin for years. You know, everybody kind of has a story around uh, Bewley's. My introduction through it was, you know, my late mother used to love going there, uh, getting a coffee and a sticky bun after doing a bit of shopping. Um, and it was my kind of uh, first introduction long ago to watching adults drink coffee and, you know, really enjoy it. And uh, it just looked fantastic. I couldn't wait for the moment when I'd be able to go in and sort of get a big mug of coffee and sit down and read a book or whatever. It just looked, uh, it looked like a great thing to do. So we have that emotional pull, I think, that a lot of people have. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business. And Bewley's has struggled to pay its rent for many, many years. Um, they've obviously been clobbered by the recession, two recessions now, the pandemic most recently, but also the 2008 banking and property crash. 
and which devastated the economy for many years. And in addition to that, you know, um, tastes have changed. Uh, a lot of new coffee shops have popped up in Dublin. We have Starbucks and Insomnia, the chains, but you also have a lot of really good independent uh, coffee retailers now in Dublin. Hopefully, most of them will reopen once the dust settles on this pandemic. And Bewley's, so Bewley's has been, uh, you know, it's been struggling with all of this. Uh, and it's a protected structure. They had to spend $12 million to uh, refurbish it and kind of bring, bring it up to modern standards, you know, renovate the Harry Clark window that everybody loves and the facade and the balcony and, and all of that. A lot of that money was sunk into places that, you, you know, as a customer, you just don't see it. It's in wiring, it's in Wi-Fi, it's in fixing the roof, it's in the facade and, and so forth, so you don't necessarily see it. It's a really tough place to make money out of uh, essentially and you know they're kind of bread and butter if you like is selling coffee and sticky buns obviously they do you know they do higher value um hot meals but a, a lot of people just go in for the for the you know the the coffee the uh, pastry or whatever the kind of beauty experience that they've been offering so it's, it's really difficult for them to make money uh, when you have a rent of one and a half million and you add in all of the other costs that go with running a business on Grafton Street. But I think Bewley's is one of those stories that just tugs at people's heartstrings. There's a nostalgia for it. It's been there since 1927. And obviously, Johnny Ronan was a property developer. Um, he has a certain flamboyance to him. He's not everybody's cup of tea. So, you know, a lot of people, you put the two together and you get the kind of reaction um, that we got last week when it was announced that Bewley's wouldn't reopen. On the general kind of... Um difficulties that a lot of uh, businesses are facing right now by retail or salons and things like that I mean it's an extraordinary situation where um, and I can't really think of an equivalent one uh, with regards to just places just having to hibernate having to close yet at the same time uh, you have the businesses that operate um, effectively with, with those retail businesses as their customers or clients as well and their tenants of course uh, where a lot of people have to pay rent um, either the full whack while they're not operating or maybe 50% or something like that. What are the kind of rent issues and arrangements that you're hearing from business owners and retail on the ground? Well there's a guy running a, a coffee shop it's a small a small restaurant I suppose uh, you would say but it's um, it mostly does lunch trade and uh, it's going to be very difficult for him to social distance. You know, he, he's um, probably 20 tables, something like that. So he's going to maybe have to uh, take out two thirds of the tables. Uh, that's the kind of scenario he's looking at. And he's got a mortgage on the building and he reopened a couple of weeks ago just to do takeout coffees and um, just to try and keep the lights on and keep one of the staff members uh, in a job. And he was telling me that, you know, essentially he's going to have one third of his revenue when it looks like that anyway, when he reopens because of the, the government restrictions that are going to be in place. So he's going to go to his bank and say, look, I, I only have uh, one third of my income coming in. There's nothing I can do. Um, I'm, you know, my hands are tied on this issue. So therefore I'm only going to be able to pay you uh, one third of the mortgage. You're going to have to write off a chunk of the loan. Now, he's also got a premises uh, in Rathgar and he's leasing that. And again, he's gone to the uh, landlord there and said, look, I'm closed at the minute. I can't afford to pay my rent. He said he had about a two-minute argument with the landlord about that and they accepted that then. Uh, and then he said, look, you know, whatever uh, shape or form I, I'm able to open in, I'm only going to be able to pay a rent that's appropriate to the kind of income I'm bringing in. So you can multiply that by you know, thousands of uh, retailers, whether they're cafes, restaurants, whether they're pubs, whether they're hairdressers uh, or a barbers or a bookshop or whatever it might be. 
you're going to have those conversations going on right across the economy uh, and they will, sometimes will be with institutional landlords in the bigger places like Grafton Street or the shopping centres but oftentimes it will be with small uh, landlords maybe people have one, two, three properties um, and they're going to be in the suburbs let's say of Dublin and probably in the suburbs of Cork and Limerick and Galway and, and elsewhere as well uh, and it's going to be a really really difficult situation the, there's no doubt that the retail landscape in Ireland is going to be completely different um, when the economy does eventually get back on its feet and um, to what we know now and you know we know a lot of the names that are already gone Debenhams not going to reopen Beulis isn't going to reopen Oasis Warehouse Laura Ashley House of Fraser uh, was on the uh, you know was on the run into closing down in Dundrum that won't reopen Pennies was due to take over part of that uh, slot in Dundrum it's a high profile uh, pitch and they've said that that investment is essentially on hold they're going to wait and see how things play out so you know the landscape is going to be completely different and there are going to be some really difficult conversations and the net effect of all of that is that the banks as well are going to be looking at situations where they're not going to um the loans that they've made to people who own these properties um you know they're simply not going to be repayable on the terms um uh, on the existing terms so a lot of people are going to be in default or they're going to fall into arrears uh, etc so this is going to be a long road to recovery for us. Unfortunately, we're not going to have this V-shaped recovery that we probably thought we would have in the early days of this pandemic. When you kind of think about the entire kind of knock-on effect of all these different things, it does seem to point towards a need for some kind of reset. If there is less money in the economy, if people are operating at a much lower capacity and if they don't have um, the rent to pay because they're not getting the revenue in, is there a mechanism by which people can just go, OK, we're, we've been up here, we've been up quite high uh, with the way the economy was going, the way the retail sector was going, restaurants, bars, all that kind of stuff. We're now going to have to collectively drop down like a good few notches so that people aren't just going to the wall all over the place. Like, is that an economic mechanism that exists how do you do well, that? I think there's definitely, there's definitely going to have to be readjustments. There's no question about that. But that's going to be painful uh, because, as I say, the landlord, um, first of all, you've got the retailer uh, who's looking at a, a completely different model. Whatever they're doing, I think all retailers are facing a situation where they're not going to be taking in as much income now going forward, with the exception of one, you know, Super Value, uh, Tesco, etc., or maybe uh, pharmacies, uh, perhaps um, some retailers like that. But for the rest, uh, essentially, their income is going to be much lower, at least in the short and medium term, um, probably for the next couple of years, maybe until we get a vaccine, maybe beyond that. A lot of people will have made the move to online um, and a lot of older people will have uh, probably discovered online shopping for the first time. And the chances are that they won't go back uh, to you know bricks and mortar trading in the same way um, or they won't go back in the same volume at least. So then those people, the retailers then have to go to their landlords and say, look, you know, we can't afford this rent anymore. It's, it's simply unsustainable. You're going to have to do something for us. And if that landlord has a mortgage, then they're going to have to go to their lender and say, look, uh, and in some cases it's non-banks. It's not actually your Bank of Ireland or AIB. There are actually a lot of institutions that have been lending uh, in the Irish market over the last number of years. So they're going to have to go to their lender, whoever it is, and say, look, I can't afford this anymore. You know, my guy, uh, his income is down. And so uh, I'm not going to be able to afford this anymore. You're going to have to do something for me on this or else, I'm, you know, somebody's going to have to give the keys back. So 
there, there's going to be some really painful um, restructuring and adjustments take place in Ireland over the next uh, number of years. It's not going to be a short-term fix. And in the meantime, you know, the government is going to be asked to bail out everyone. The retailer is going to say, well, look, you know, we need um, we need to be bailed out. You need to do something for us. Um, for sure, the landlords who have mortgages are going to say, the borrowers are going to say, and this will apply to mortgages as well, they're going to say, look, you know, we can't afford these loans anymore. Um, our income has been hit. Uh, and then you have the banks as well, and, and most of them permanent TSB, AIB, Bank of Ireland, they have a state shareholding already. Um, and they've just come out of the worst uh, banking crisis in the history of the world. Um, you know, from just over a, a decade ago, they were just about starting to get on their feet again and starting to get back to normal levels of lending and so forth. And now they've been hit with this. Uh, it's going to, I, you know, I really think it's going to impact um, right across the economy. Uh, maybe some people in the multinational sector might be sheltered from it in terms of their incomes, but I think for everyone else, there's going to be a huge, um, there's going to be a huge change ahead. There have been loads and loads of um, government supports uh, across the board. A lot for employers, employees. Um, we hear kind of Heather Humphreys coming out talking about help for businesses and all that kind of stuff. It did seem from the get-go, though, the commercial rent uh, felt like one of the things that wasn't really addressed um, for businesses that were forced to stop trading. And when you're talking about people having these conversations between their landlord, between their bank, like is the government kicking things back into that space, that it's something for tenants, landlords and banks to sort out and negotiate as opposed to any kind of top-down, um, you know, declaration or, or regulation coming in? It's a difficult one for the government, to be honest, on rents uh, because you've got property issues and property rights at play here and obviously um, you've got contract law at play here. So it's difficult for the government to intervene um, and say, you know, to all landlords, well, you've got to reduce your rents. And of course, uh, individual cases, you know, some uh, there are probably some retailers. I mentioned the the supermarkets, for example, um, have been up over the last number of weeks in terms of their sales. So, you know, not everybody has uh, has seen a reduction. Obviously, most have, but not everyone. So it's uh, it, it's I, I would say it's next to impossible really for um, the government to intervene here. I mean, what they can do is maybe try and bring some moral persuasion um, to play, and uh, certainly with the banks in terms of offering some forbearance uh, to, and that has happened to a degree because they've, uh, you'll have seen the banks all coming out in the last couple of days. Uh, AIB said they've given 50,000 uh, pay-in breaks um, to mortgage holders and SMEs and so forth in Ireland over the last uh, number of weeks. And uh, mortgage holders in, in Ireland who find themselves uh, struggling to pay their mortgage have been given a six months, up to six months uh, payment break without being classified as, as in arrears and without their credit rating and so forth. So there is a little bit of that going on at the minute and, and maybe the government can try and facilitate some of that. I think the supports they've introduced um, have really been short-term measures to try and um, stem the bleed really in, in the economy. Um, but it forces to borrow an awful lot more money. I mean, the NTMA went out on behalf of the state and borrowed $6 billion recently at very, very low rates. I mean, rock-bottom rates. Um, but that's specifically to uh, help pay for these supports that have been offered um, to people and to companies, you know, wage subsidies and so forth, um, to try and keep the show on the road uh, over what we thought was going to be a small duration uh, of lockdown for the economy. I think what we're all coming to realise now is that the impact of COVID 
on the economy, not just in Ireland, but elsewhere, is going to be much more uh, medium to long term. We don't have a vaccine, so social distancing is going to be with us for some time to come. We don't have an effective medicine, etc. So, you know, th- there's going to be a new normal, as they call it, for, for quite some time. How long the government can afford to offer those supports is a is a, is a moot point and is a valid point. And um, obviously we have talks on a new government going on at the minute. Um, and the Greens and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael all have their own little spending priorities that they want to ensure. So it's going to be difficult to pay for all of this uh, in the future. I don't think the government's, I don't think there's really anything the government can do um, directly in terms of rents. They did introduce a measure um, some years ago when Fianna Fáil were last in government to ban upward only uh, rent reviews, um, but that only applied to new contracts. It didn't reply. It didn't apply retrospectively. So maybe there's a measure, something like that, that they can introduce. But it's really difficult um, to intervene in contract law and in property rights, um, and you know, force uh, landlords or force lenders um, to offer you know reductions to to the borrower or to their tenant. Finally, Karen, um, this is obviously an extraordinarily busy time for you as the business editor of the Irish Times. Uh, depending on who you talk to, we are facing slash are in the middle of a global economic collapse or a recession or a depression. Um, we do. It does feel like we're kind of in this weird uh, holding pattern before society opens back up and we can really see how bad the wounds are um, and how they've festered over this time. But what are your, like, how are you feeling about it overall? And what are your big picture worries in terms of, I suppose, the global economy, if that's not too big a question? Yeah, well, look, things, um, things, were tricky for us anyway because we had uh, on the one hand we had Brexit um, Britain left left the European Union in January but they're still uh, they're still complying with EU rules they're in this transition period uh, until uh, a final deal has been agreed that's supposed to be agreed by the end of this year nobody really before the pandemic nobody really thought that was a realistic time scale and that they were going to have to push it out a bit but Boris Johnson uh, had said he didn't want to do that so you know there are very real fears uh, from the impact of Brexit for the Irish economy particularly for the likes of the uh, agri and food sectors which are heavily exposed um, to the UK so we had that then we had the pandemic uh, come along in the middle of all of that you've got Trump and trade wars with China and elsewhere um, so the, the picture doesn't look rosy, uh, quite frankly. And I think until we have a vaccine and that's rolled out on a mass basis across the world and people are able to get a vaccine and are able to get some comfort that they're, uh, um, that they're in some way protected against COVID, I think there's going to be a lot of nervousness. There's going to be social distancing at play. I think air travel, you know, if you, if you listen to Willie Walsh, you listen to Michael O'Leary, you listen to Alan Joyce, uh, the Irishman who runs Qantas in Australia, it's anywhere between two and six years before um, air travel comes back um, to the levels we saw in 2019. And for an economy like Ireland, that's devastating because obviously we're an island, we're surrounded by water. Uh, most people get on and off this island by aircraft. We had great connections with the United States. We've all these cultural links uh, with the United States where millions of Americans come in here every year. You know, that's stopped and uh, we just can't be sure when that's going to restart. And tourism is one of those great industries for a country like Ireland because Ireland is so rural and tourism reaches into you know pretty much every nook and cranny in Ireland in some way shape or form um, so for tourism for the tourism tap to be turned off for the next two three or whatever number of years it might be that's going to be very very difficult for uh, rural Ireland I suppose the only 
um, upside for us at the minute is the fact that the pharma sector is going gangbusters to try and find medicines and a, a vaccine for COVID. And we have a lot of the big uh, pharma players here in Ireland. They've all made huge investments here and the tech companies have all made huge investments here. And obviously technology and online um, shopping and so forth is going to be a bigger thing in the future. So at least we have uh, we have a foot in those camps um, and they will help to support the economy. But I think it's going to be, you know, it is really going to be a very difficult for the global economy as a whole. It's going to be a very difficult couple of years. Uh, and we're a very open, small, open economy. We rely on uh, strong uh, flows of trade around the world. And, you know, we're kind of a bridge between America and Europe and so forth. So we are definitely going to catch a cold. Uh, I think it's going to be a severe one. Um, and it's going to take it's going to take some time to recover from. Thanks, Emil, for joining us, Kieran. And that's really, really informative. And we'll chat again soon. And take care. Don't work too hard. Thanks, Emma. What's getting in the sea, Andrea? It's a duopoly. It's basically Boris Johnson and his stupid uh, stay alert messaging. Like, stay alert against an infectious virus. What are you meant to do? Like, run up behind it and like run away from it like it's just the most bizarre messaging I've ever come across but uh, like as I said it is very indicative of the Tories trying to erase responsibility um, and that really came through in that Sky News piece I was talking about the UK media are blaming people for following Boris's advice using public transport and the headline on Sky News was buses in London are packed with passengers this morning despite the government asking people to avoid public transport, if possible, when the coronavirus lockdown eased. I just don't understand if you're being asked to go back to work and told to go back to work. And nobody in London works within 60 minutes, the majority of the time, of uh, a bus or a tube or whatever. How the fuck are they meant to get to work? And um, the narrative has definitely been that poor people need to go back to work so rich people can get even richer and it just is start it's just oh the whole thing can just get in the sea fair and now our fave bits what are your fave bits Anna? so my fave bits this week um Loath as I am to recommend another podcast beyond the buttressed walls of United Ireland's fortress of podcast glory. I am really enjoying Annie Mack's new podcast called Changes. There is a dearth or like a just a plethora of um, the opposite of dearth loads uh, of podcasts of like somebody interviewing somebody else. Um, but really, really, really uh I'm really enjoying this one uh, from Annie Mack. Uh, her first two episodes, first what one was a really great interview. Co- huh? What sets it apart from other interviewee podcasts? Well, I think the guests first and foremost. So there's, I think there's two podcasts. I the first one was with Katla Moran. Uh, the second one was with Robin. And Annie's just such a great, very chill interviewer. And obviously she's built up so many relationships with musicians and different people um, over the years. And so it's just very relaxed. It's very kind of honest and real. And it doesn't, it's not like very presentery. You know, she's such a great broadcaster. Like she's Mm -hmm. such a, 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 you know, just an easy way about her talking. And she 
also brings loads of her own experience to the conversation. So it's just really quality listening, to be honest. My other fave bit, um, this is, feels like a weekly fave bit for me now, the other Voices Courage broadcast, but Denise Chyla is on uh, uh, this Thursday uh, performing in the National Gallery. Um, she's got a new tr- uh, track out recently called Down. Uh, she's just a brilliant, brilliant artist. So check that one out. And my third fave bit is Seawall, which is a one-man um, play uh, starring Andrew Scott. And it has been put out free online. Um, I'm going to do a post later on our Patreon page about like really, really, really good free stuff to watch online because there's obviously loads of stuff and the quality ebbs and flows. I saw this uh, in the Project Arts Centre a couple of years ago and it absolutely floored me. Uh, it's around 30 minutes long. Trigger warning for those with children. It's quite emotionally brutal, but it is amazing. And obviously, Andrew Scott is a boss man. So, yeah, check out Seawall. I was in the same drama club as Andrew Scott. And when he was uh, Oliver, I was one of I was in the same play with him. There you go. Amazing. An, amazing. An actress string to my bow. There you go. Who knew? It just never, it never ends. What are your fave bits? <laughs> My fave bits are uh, the National Gallery, I have to say, are doing so much lovely stuff um, during Corona. Even as Obviously, we can't go into the National Gallery. There's, what they're turning out is really good. And obviously, other voices are in there. But uh, they have this podcast called Moments in Time. Um, and the latest one is an interview between uh, filmmaker and photographer Perry Ogden, and he is talking to Grace Coddington, who uh, is most well-known for her, well, she's well-known for those things, but her big red hair, her fashion, uh, she was the creative director of American Vogue after uh, being the fashion editor of British Vogue. So it's uh, discussing the magic of photography and the role it's played in Grace's life because um, she was also a model. Um, and it just brings in the recent first exhibition of photography that uh, was in the National Gallery. So definitely well worth a listen. Uh, another fave bit, uh, during my uh, The World is Imploding and It's So Unfair, I watched uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming, um, searching for an uplifting, we can change the world moment. And I got it. And I really, I think it's only new on Netflix. It was such a great documentary in terms of, I just felt she is who she is, as that famous song goes, I am who I am. And she just is. And I think that's really for somebody who uh, has faced so many challenges um, and not really challenges, but probably was told she could never be there to be there and to be unapologetically herself. Um, I just thought it was a really good uh, documentary. Do you know what I thought about Becoming? Uh, well, I thought loads of things. I, I also enjoyed it. I think that, first of all, you know, it just makes you so angry about the um, kind of general racism in the American media, American society in general. But that she's had to like she, under the spotlight so much and obviously had to do so much self-reflection and at times self-censorship that everything that she says in that doc when she's talking to young people and stuff, there's so much clarity to it. Mm. And like, 
she doesn't really waste a word when she's talking to people. There's so much wisdom in what she's saying. And you kind of almost have to, I kept kind of pausing it and, and thinking about the things that she was saying. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that she says quite, sounds quite simple, but but the thought and the clarity and the life experience behind it was really something else. Also, Camasee Washington did the soundtrack and that is being released this Friday. Amazing. Yay. So thumbs up all around. And this my last fave bit was my fave bit last week, but I was only one episode into it. So I kind of fawned over it uh, before I really got to the bottom of it. Oh my God, Hollywood is just fucking brilliant. I just cannot get enough of the way it's written, the visuals, the costumes, the strong female roles that were, they were just so brilliantly written and, um, I suppose it's indicative that there there isn't that many amazing female roles. And when one comes along, I just am like, whoa, Avis in that show is just phenomenal. And um, I just think it's a really uplifting show that I think everyone, I just really enjoyed it. So that's why it's my favorite bit. Great. <laughs> amazing. What's the deal? Andrea. The deal is keep your distance, keep washing your hands, keep your sneezes contained, keep yourself at home, keep a mask on outside and keep on keeping on. What's this week's tuna chicken roll? I'm excited. <laughs> so I meant to do this last week, but I forgot. But Todrick Hall has created this amazing track. Um, he of nails, hair, hips, heels, uh, the very catchy number. I think it's been a tune of chicken wrap before, but he's done a version called Mask, Gloves, Soap, Scrubs, which is obviously very in keeping with our time right now. Um, and it's a tuna. So have a listen. I've been Una. I've been Andrea. That was the Bewley's Effect. And, and we, we are, are United Ireland. United Ireland. Still Perfect. not so united. <laughs> oh, by the way, before we go, the the... The, the thing of us not being united is a read that came from our online poker tournament. So every Sunday, um, myself and Andre and a bunch of pals play poker online. Uh, it has become extraordinarily competitive. I won one week after an unbelievable comeback that really had to be seen to be believed. The true people's champion crashed out last week in eighth place. The two weeks before that, fourth place twice in a row. But the reason that I crashed out on Sunday was because Sharky McVegas face, Andrea Horan, absolutely destroyed me. Like there was no mercy shown. I had such great cards every time. And every time she was getting the edge, like literally I would have, you know, really good two pair or something. Bam, three of a kind. I think I had like a pair of aces she would win on like a high card like by a fraction and like four or five hands in a row and I was troubled I was resentful what don't hate the game don't hate the player hate the game I was just playing poker you know well it's not not the cards you're dealt it's how you play them right well it's easy for you to say when you beat me basically, which is now what the real competition is. Forget about (laughs) who actually places in our 13 or 14 player tournament. So um, I'm just putting it out there. Post lockdown, if anybody ever 
has an opportunity to play poker with Andrea. Don't. She's a shark. She'll destroy you. She will show no compassion whatsoever. Just let me say I haven't won once, so grand. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Peace out, everyone. We love you all. Mask, gloves, soap, scrubs, tick, tock, grub, hub, twings, jocks, bears, cubs. Zoom is the new club. Six feet, no hugs. Still beat these mugs. Sick beat, cut a rug. Joe Exotic is a thug. Kitty cat cat, tell me Carol Baskin. Where is the husband? Everyone's asking. Stimulus check, everybody better cash in. Mask and gloves, yeah, that's a new fashion. Girl, what did that girl just say, girl? <gasps> girl, I don't go to work. Work. I don't leave, I stay. Stay. I don't care, I eat, eat, eat and sleep all day. Okay. And then I watch TV. Yeah, that's just the tea, hunting. Yes, ma'am. Until they set us free. Free. Then I'ma let you see. What you gonna let them see? My mask, gloves, soap, scrubs, 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 mask, gloves, soap, scrubs. No school, gym closed. Don't touch these clothes. Need food, this blows. Line at Trader Joe's. At home, gym fish. Don't come close. Fist wave, wave, blow a kiss. For masks, sis. Left, right, left, right, swiping on Tinder. What was life like? I can't remember. Needing my haircut, somebody shave her. Where is all of the toilet paper? Girl, what did that girl just say, girl? Girl, I don't go to work. Work. I don't leave, I stay. Stay. I don't care, I eat, 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 and sleep all day. Okay. And then I watch TV. Yeah, that's just the tea, hunty. Yes, ma'am. Until they set us free. Free. Then I'ma let you see. What you gonna let them see? My mask, gloves, soap,